Voices of the United States Government. This is VOA News. I'm Tommy McNeil. Officials have said Israel and U.S.-designated terrorist group Hamas are making progress in a ceasefire and hostage release talks. AP correspondent Karen Shamas. An Israeli tank rolls near Gaza on the southern Israeli border as explosions could be heard from inside the enclave. Negotiations between the two sides have been continuing in Cairo, a day after Israeli forces rescued two captives in Rafah. More than 70 Palestinians were killed in the raid. The mass destruction and death was a glimpse of what a full-scale Israeli ground advance into the area would look like. A ceasefire deal, on the other hand, would give people in Gaza a desperately needed respite from Israel's offensive, now in its fifth month. I'm Karen Shamas. Ukrainians in the capital, Kiev, said Tuesday that they felt the passage of a U.S. military aid bill was crucial for the country's war effort against Russia. VOA's Rick Pantaleo tells us more. The Democratic-led U.S. Senate Tuesday passed a more than $95 billion aid package for Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan. But it's facing a bleak future in the Republican-controlled House of Representatives. Ukrainians interviewed in Kiev said the bill is important for Ukraine. Rina Ivanova is an economist. I would very much like the passing of the bill. However, I very well understand that we cannot force it. We can only hope for it. Both houses of Congress must approve the legislation before President Biden can sign it into law. Rick Pantaleo, VOA News. South Korea's military says it has detected North Korea firing multiple cruise missiles into the waters off its northeastern coast. In its fifth test of such weapons since January, South Korea's Joint Chiefs of Staff on Wednesday did not immediately provide the exact numbers of missiles fired or how war or how far they flew. The launches were North Korea's sixth missile launch event this year, also including on January 14th. This is VOA News. U.S. President Joe Biden is warning House of Representative Republicans of the stakes if they do not allow a vote on the emergency aid package the Senate has passed for Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan. AP correspondent Sangra Magani. The president says Russian counterpart Vladimir Putin must see that the U.S. stands with Ukraine and other allies. Supporting this bill is standing up to Putin. Opposing it is playing into Putin's hands. But the $95 billion bill faces a deeply uncertain future in the House, with hardline Trump-allied Republicans opposed. Ukraine backers hope the Senate's bipartisan support will put pressure with the nearly two-year Russia-Ukraine war at a crucial point. I urge Speaker Johnson to bring it to the floor immediately. Sagar Magani, Washington. Three years into Myanmar's military rule, the fighting has displaced millions of civilians, including journalists at Democratic Voice of Burma, or DVB. But from newsrooms outside of Myanmar, they keep reporting. VOA News has a story narrated by Rash Arabasadi. Exile is not new for DVB, founded in 1992 in Norway under prior junta rule. The broadcaster moved to Myanmar during civilian rule, only to have to flee again in 2021. With access to independent news restricted in Myanmar, DVB and other media now working from exile play a vital role. I think the media have become a crucial countering fake news and also countering propaganda, uh, telling the truth about situation on the ground. A. Chun Nine is executive director of DVB for VOA News in Thailand, Arash Arabasadi. The U.S. House has voted to impeach Homeland Security Secretary 
Alejandro Mayorkas over the Biden administration's handling of the U.S.-Mexico border, an historic rebuke of a sitting cabinet secretary. The Republican majority was determined to try again to impeach Mayorkas after having failed last week. Tuesday evening's vote was tight even with the arrival of Majority Leader Steve Scalise, who has been away from Washington for cancer care. Speaker Mike Johnson's majority could not spare defections or absences in the face of staunch Democratic opposition. President Joe Biden called the impeachment of Mayorkas a blatant act of unconstitutional partisanship that has targeted an honorable public servant in order to play petty political games. You'll find more at voanews.com. I'm Tommy McNeil, VOA News. Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm James Botti in Washington. Today is Wednesday, February 14. And here are some of the stories we are covering. Lawmaker from Malawi's main opposition party boycott parliament. We felt that a person who has been expelled by the party cannot come to represent that party. It has never happened. Guinea labor unions stand firm in their demand for the unconditional release of a journalist. Zimbabwe will attempt to establish a gold-backed currency. A Silicon Valley startup discovers huge copper deposits in Zambia. There are more repercussions for President Maki Sall's abrupt decision to postpone Senegal's February 25 election. What you have to know is that this is not a problem between the president and the opposition. It is a problem between the president and the people of Senegal. And South Africa signs a deal to sell meat to Saudi Arabia. Those stories plus our Black History Month presentation are coming up on Daybreak Africa. Lawmakers for Malawi's main opposition, the Democratic Progressive Party, or DPP, on Tuesday deliberated outside the parliament building after some of them were barred from entering the National Assembly over misconduct. About 20 DPP lawmakers were not allowed to enter parliament for allegedly causing chaos, which erupted in parliament on Monday after disagreeing on the rightful leader of the opposition who speaks on behalf of the opposition parties. However, some legal experts said the parliament could have done better to solve the impasse. Lamek Masina reports from Blantyre. The chaos on Monday erupted after the speaker of the National Assembly, Catherine Kutani Haram, recognized Kondwani Nankumam as the leader of opposition to respond to the state of the nation address which Malawi President Razras Chakwera delivered when he opened parliament on Friday. However, this angered DPP lawmakers who argued that the country's many opposition party fired Nankuma last month over indiscipline and that it had replaced him with Melina Vicha as the new leader of the opposition in parliament. George Japonda is the chief whip for the DPP in the legislature. His expulsion followed his appearance before a disciplinary committee. After the disciplinary committee, he was expelled from the party. So we felt that a person who has been expelled by the party cannot come to 
represent that party. It has never happened. But Speaker Harris said she could not recognize Navicha as opposition leader unless the court injunction which Nankuma obtained against his expulsion from the party was lifted. The leader of the government side in parliament, Richard Jimwendo Bandam, shares the same view. It's very clear from what the speaker said that as parliament, we must respect the courts. We cannot be parliament and disrespect the courts. However, in response, some DPP lawmakers left parliament in a protest. On Tuesday morning, security officers there were instructed to bar about 20 DPP lawmakers from entering the building. This forced other DPP lawmakers to boycott entering parliament in solidarity with their bad fellow lawmakers who gathered outside. Sheriff Kaisi is a political analyst based in Blanta. He told VOA that the behavior of the DPP parliamentarians showed a lack of seriousness on matters of national interest. This is the inter-party issue uh, that has to be resolved outside the parliament because the issue, if you look at it, it's about the change of the leadership. So what DPP was, was going to do is to fight through the court to lift the order and then bring Navicha as the leader of opposition. Besides the DVP lawmakers boycott on Monday, Nankuma proceeded with his business as leader of opposition and responded to the president's state of the nation address. However, posting on his Facebook page on Tuesday, former judge of Malawi Supreme Court of Appeal, Dunstan Maungulu, said by succumbing to the court injunction on the DPP dispute over the issue of leader of opposition, the Malawi parliament is undermining its sovereignty. Maungulu says under normal circumstances, the judiciary cannot impose orders that would affect the functioning of the parliament. In the meantime, Speaker of Parliament Hara says she will consider allowing the DPP's newly appointed leader of opposition, Navicham, to respond to the President's State of the Nation address on a Thursday. However, Navicha presented her response to the State of the Nation address Tuesday from the gates of the Parliament building where the DPP lawmakers gathered. For VOA Africa, I am Lamik Masina in Blanta, Malawi. There are more repercussions for Senegalese President Macky Sall's abrupt decision to postpone the country's February 25 election. The government cut internet services again on Tuesday ahead of a planned opposition protest to prevent what the government calls hateful and subversive online messages. According to Reuters, the UN Human Rights Office and Amnesty International have accused the government of violating fundamental rights to freedom of assembly and expression. Nafisa Dia is a member of jailed opposition leader Usman Sonko's pastel party. She tells me the crisis is no longer between the opposition and the government. Instead, it is a crisis between President Macky Sall and the people of Senegal. What you have to know is that this is not a problem between the president and the opposition. It is a problem between the president and the people of Senegal. So now it's no longer an issue between the ruling party and the opposition. It's an issue between the president, who is uh, at the end of his second and last mandate, and the people of Senegal, because this issue concerns every Senegalese. So now what's happening is that people are getting organized in various organizations. Today, they wanted to march 
just a silent procession, but it was forbidden. Even if the law says that you don't even have to ask for permission, you just have to let the authority know that this day you will be out with your people. And the one they wanted to do today, it was a silent one, just walking silently from place A to place B. It was forbidden. It's an issue between him and the population because what he has done has never been done in Senegal. So, Nafisa, what are you hearing from your people on the ground in Senegal? Because we are hearing that uh, the government has cut or restricted internet services. That's not something new. Whenever they prepare something, well, they cut the internet because they say that they don't want some riots to happen and people, you know, filming those riots and putting it uh, on air. So they say that for security purposes, they're shutting down the internet. But then other countries, namely the United States and other countries, they're saying that this is not normal to shut down the internet. But they did again today because people intended to go out today for that silent march I told you about. We know that uh, the United Nations Human Rights Office and Amnesty International they have all made comments ECOWAS. about ECOWAS. We know that a parliamentary committee from ECOWAS is also in Senegal. Have they met with the opposition, if you know anything? I'm not sure. I'm really not sure if they have met uh, the president or not yet, but I heard that they were on their way to meet him. And everybody, I haven't read or seen or heard a single country or organization being on the side of uh, what the president has done. Everybody is telling him to organize elections according to the constitutional dispositions of Senegal, meaning the sooner the best, meaning at the end of February. Do you have hope that this will happen? Well, I hope that he will do it. I don't see what could prevent him from doing it. If he wants to do it, he will do it. Now, there is one thing, the opposition... And I think some candidates, they went to the Constitutional Court to oppose the law that was proposed by the deputies and also the decree that was proposed by the president, both cancelling the elections. And now the Constitutional Court, it has between, I think, eight days to one month to answer. Nafisa Dia is a member of Usman Sonko's pastel party. She was speaking with us from Moncton, Canada. In Guinea-Conakry, this week's planned talks between labor unions and the government did not materialize. The unions are demanding the unconditional release of Sekou Pendasa, the secretary general of the Union of the Press Professionals of Guinea, and a solution to other issues, including a reduction in the cost of living. Meanwhile, the government has banned the country's mayors from traveling outside the country. Dawuda Mohamed Kamara is editor-in-chief at Espars FM. He tells me the unions plan to go on strike if their demands are not met. Yes, as you said, the objective of the dialogue was to discuss the points of demands of the labor unions, in particular the liberation of the internet, the media waves, the reduction in, in prices of consumer goods, such as uh, oil, onion, flour, sugar, and the support of contract teachers. In the meantime, Dauda, what happens now to the union's strike threat? Is it still in effect? Yes, of course. The strike notice remains maintained by the union. And if the point concerning the release of Seku Jamal Pendesa is not satisfied, the threatening to go on strike. So that means the strike treat is still in effect.
What do you know, Dauda, about this information we are getting about the government banning all mayors from traveling outside the country? For what reason? All the mayors are banned from leaving the country. This is the new announcement made by the Minister of Justice, Alphonse Charles-Wright. He believed that these mayors who have been responsible for managing public funds, particularly for the construction of infrastructure, must account for their management. And as you know, they are also supposed to be replaced by special delegation while waiting for the next municipal elections. It should still be not said that another mayor's had already been accused of, uh, uh, let me say, embezzlement with any trial being open to determine their responsibility. So we are now asking if uh, for this special case, if child rights is ready to go far. Dawuda Mohamed Kamara is the editor-in-chief of at Espouse FM. He was speaking with us from Guinea's capital, Kunakri. You are listening to Daybreak Africa on The Voice of America. I'm James Barty in Washington. Today is Wednesday, February 14. For more African news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Zimbabwe's government says it is introducing a gold-backed currency to replace the country's worthless dollar, which most businesses have shunned, preferring the U.S. dollar or South African rand instead. Columbus Mavunga reports from Horare. Utuli Ngube, Zimbabwe's finance minister, told reporters in an online press conference Monday that his country was moving away from its current all but worthless currency to ensure sustained growth. Really, this is a quest for currency stability. What is the measure over the years? The US dollar has been the, the most dominant. So, but going forward, we want to make sure that the growth that we've achieved so far, which has been very strong, is maintained and is even increased. We can only do that if we have further stability in the domestic currency. And the way to do that is perhaps to link the exchange rate to some hard asset, such as gold. He did not indicate when Zimbabwe will introduce the gold backed currency. Since Zimbabwe's independence in 1980, the country has introduced new currencies several times after citizens and businesses started shunning the money. The present day currency, known as the dollar bond notes or ZWL, was introduced. In 2014, within months, it started losing value, something economists attributed to the government overprinting notes and businesses failing to have confidence in the currency. It now trades at 20,000 for one U.S. dollar. Prosper Chitambara, a senior economist with the Labor and Economic Development Research Institute of Zimbabwe, says the move to introduce a gold-backed currency is a noble one. This is akin to what we had in the past, the gold standard, where you actually link Zim dollar money supply to gold. So that actually helps to control money supply, and it also helps to stabilize the value of the currency because ultimately it means the value of the currency will be determined to a greater extent by the value of gold. But ultimately, says Sitambaram, Zimbabwe needs to exercise fiscal 
responsibility if it wants to have a stable domestic currency. In the long term, medium to long term, we need number one to, to uh, sustain uh, or to ensure fiscal sustainability through ensuring this fiscal discipline, fiscal consolidation. At one time, many countries used the so-called gold standard where the monetary system is begged by the value of fiscal gold. But the system fell out of use in the early 1970s. It remains to be seen if it can be revived in modern-day Zimbabwe. Columbus Mavungam, VOA News, Harare. A California-based company backed by tech billionaires says it has discovered major copper deposits in Zambia using artificial intelligence. The discovery comes as demand for the metal is especially high for the global transition to cleaner energy sources. Kathy Short reports from Lusaka, Zambia. Located in Zambia's mineral-rich Copper Belt province, the Mingomba Copper Project is poised to become one of the biggest and highest-grade copper mines in the world. Cobalt Metals Africa CEO Fikei Makai told VOA that the company and its partner Zambia Consolidated Copper Mines Investments Holdings have been working on the Mingomba project for the last 12 months using artificial intelligence to search for copper, cobalt, nickel and lithium. We have found something that's really great. It's larger than 5% copper, consistent, good quality ore body and we're really excited for Zambia. We're excited for the region and the industry as well because we now know that innovation is required in exploration for the future. Investors in cobalt metals include Jeff Bezos, founder of online shopping giant Amazon and Breakthrough Energy, a climate and technology fund established by Microsoft founder Bill Gates. U.S. Ambassador to Zambia, Michael Gonzalez, described the discovery as phenomenal, saying it will be one of Zambia's and the region's biggest copper deposits discovered in decades. He says the project has demonstrated how artificial intelligence has become invaluable in the discovery of minerals. Gonzalez adds that this is just the latest and biggest component of a long-term partnership between the United States and Zambia. When you think of mining, you don't think of Silicon Valley. When you think of America, though, you often think about innovation. And this is where the Silicon Valley element comes into play, in that you have a company of data analysts who are looking at the data that's available about mining and mineral deposits in Zambia, crunching big data and using that to project where to explore. President Hakainde Hichilema's chief communication aide, Clayson Hamasaka, said the discovery is in line with the president's vision for Zambia to increase copper production. This is quite a huge development for Zambia, for the Zambian citizens, and for what we're visiting as a, as a country. Remember when we came, we came on the platform of increasing our mineral extraction to about 3 million tons in the next 10 years or so. Experts say the rare discovery of a high-grade copper deposit will help in the global effort to secure the materials needed for the ongoing transition to cleaner sources of energy. Copper is in high demand due to its use in renewable energy and electric vehicles. Meanwhile, Cobalt CEO predicts the mine, when it becomes operational in about seven years, will directly generate 15,000 jobs and indirectly generate an additional 5,000 jobs. That will be welcome news to the people of Zambia the majority of whom live in poverty despite the country's rich mineral deposits. Kathy Short, VOA News, Lusaka, Zambia. 
livestock farmers in South Africa are excited to resume exporting beef and lamb to Saudi Arabia after a long hiatus. Kit Bartlett reports from a ranch outside Johannesburg that stands to benefit from the new trade partnership. The beef from some of the more than 150,000 South African cows on this feedlot outside Johannesburg is destined for diners many miles away in Saudi Arabia. That's after South Africa did a deal with the kingdom, which this year became a new member of the BRICS Plus group of emerging economies, which already includes Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa, and presents itself as an alternative to the Western-led global order. Matthew Karen is a part owner of Karen Beef. So Saudi Arabia is firstly a very big market for protein, generally. Uh, they are the largest um, in the Gulf so South Africa has just been accredited and various factories have been accredited. So this is very exciting for South Africa. The rest of the BRICS countries, we currently don't export to many of them. Uh, we don't export to Russia. Uh, we don't export to Brazil. We don't export to India. Karen Beef, one of South Africa's biggest beef producers, does export to China but does business primarily with Gulf countries and new partner Saudi Arabia's protein market is worth some $2 billion. Until now, South Africa has been banned from exporting to the oil-rich kingdom for more than 20 years, ever since an outbreak of foot and mouth disease, said Wendile Silobo, chief economist at the Agricultural Business Chamber of South Africa. Countries that have dominated uh, the Saudi market includes the likes of the U.S., uh, South America, you see them there. Um, and now South Africa will be joining uh, those countries. And I think that given that our exports have been progressively growing over time, uh, Saudi Arabia offers new opportunities for expansion. Devolt Olivier, CEO of Red Meat Industry Services, says trade with China involves logistical hurdles while the EU market is difficult to break into. Most of South Africa's beef goes to the domestic market, with exports accounting for only around 4%. So a new customer like Saudi Arabia is important. If you look at the Saudi Arabian market, they consume 2.4 million tons of red meat per annum. That's the the, the, uh, 2024 forecast. And Olivia says the deal is already opening other doors in the BRICS Plus grouping. What we've seen was that on the back of Saudi Arabia uh, opening up to us, uh, we've had discussions immediately with Iran. Increased exports should have a positive effect on South Africa's flailing economy and high unemployment rates. Kate Bartlett, VOA News, Johannesburg. It's time now for our Black History Month and African History presentation for today, February 14. On this day, 1870, Frederick Douglass was believed to have been born a slave in Maryland. His real name was Frederick Bailey. At age 20, Frederick ran away to freedom. He changed his name to Frederick Douglass to escape capture by slave catchers. During the U.S. Civil War, Douglass fought for the opportunity for blacks to join the Union Army. Frederick was a friend to President Abraham Lincoln. 
Also on this day in 1867, Morehouse College was founded in Augusta, Georgia. The institution was later moved to Atlanta. It is a private, all-male, historically black, liberal arts college. Did you know that Vanessa Williams was the first African-American to win the Miss America pageant in 1984? She went on to become a successful vocalist and actress. In July 1984, Williams again made history, this time as the first woman forced to resign her Miss America title after Penthouse magazine published explicit photos of her taken when she was 19 years old. Those are your Black History Month facts for today, February 14th. And that's it for this Wednesday, February 14th edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for coming aboard with us this morning. For more African news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are also on YouTube, where you can watch our TV shows, Africa 54, Straight Talk Africa, and Red Carpet. On behalf of the Daybreak Africa team, I'm James Barton, Washington, wishing that you will have a lovely day. We'll be home. We like the birds and the bees. We rather die on our feet. <laughs>